Welcome to Make Things That Matter, the podcast where we explore impactful products and the cultures that create them. I'm your host, Andrew Scottsko, and if I'm doing my job well, each episode of this show will help you to do meaningful work, make things that make things better, and have a great experience doing it. My guest in this conversation is Sahil Avingia, the founder of Gumroad, which is one of the largest platforms for creators to sell their work online directly to their audience. Sahil has had an epic journey as an entrepreneur. He dropped out of college to become employee number two at Pinterest, and then he went on to found Gumroad. When the company failed to meet its VC-driven growth timeline and almost died, Sahil had to lay everybody off and build it back up into the resilient and fully distributed company that it is today, a journey which he later chronicled in his viral essay, Reflecting on My Failure to Build a Billion-Dollar Company. I feel that this conversation with Sahil really highlights him as an independent thinker. We explore the various motivations that we each have for making the things that we make, the essential superpower that people have as entrepreneurs, and what does it actually take to run a fully distributed company and do it well. We also go into the logic and the thinking process that Sahil went through behind his recent very controversial decision to more than double Gumroad's prices. And, you know, what would he do if he had to start over? Please enjoy this conversation with Sahil Lavingia. Sahil, welcome to the show, my friend. It's so great to be with you. How are you doing today in the new year? I'm doing good. It's January. People are still coming back to to work, but I'm I'm working. I'm I'm trying to take advantage of all this new AI stuff. You know, try to stay relevant, honestly, which is hard. I feel like it gets harder to do that every year. <laughs> Absolutely. What what does that look like for you? Like, what's caught your eye? Yeah, I mean, I try to stay on top of things, mostly you know, using Twitter. I sort of aggressively follow and unfollow people make sure my feed is sort of relevant to what I'm interested in, which right now might be AI. And mostly it is around a lot of this new AI stuff that's happening. Reading papers, clicking links, actually building stuff, I think is really critical for me. I don't, you know, pretend to be the world's best software engineer, but I think it's helpful to just sort of download, you know, GitHub repos and run it locally and, and just get a sense of like what, 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 what is actually new here, right? What, what's actually different and, and changed and, and novel and what's the math like what's what's actually what's happening at a very low level it's just like mm. thing that things generally interesting to me and i also have a bias because i'm always trying to invest in startups and so it kind of gives me a financial sort of incentive to you know read books and papers and you know news articles and 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 try to stay top of mind otherwise i think it'd be easy for me to disappear and end up being a hermit which <laughs> I, you know, I guess are you still painting I, I know you got into that for a while there Oh man. Yeah. I'm not painting as much, to be honest. I actually just reset up my oil painting little studio in the garage. So I hope to be doing more of it. But I, the way I think about it is I, I think I, I've learned a core set of skills in terms of painting, paint application, perspective, design, anatomy, all these sorts of things. And now I watch this AI stuff and I sort of just wonder if those skills will be one day useful in a, in a very <laughs> serendipitous way. And I, th- I think that's just a mentality I've always had is like, if I don't know what I'm doing, you know, which sometimes you as a CEO running a company, you know, you might have a bad year or whatnot, just always trying to prioritize skill development and always, always try to make sure that I'm learning and, you know, learning. I, th- I do, you know, just for its own sake, but also I, I tend to, I think, gravitate towards things that I think may be, you know, useful in the, in the, in the future. So Painting, I think, falls into that and drawing and, and stuff like that. Absolutely. So, you know, I think that's really interesting because, you know, in this age where everybody's AI, all the things, all the time, it, it does, it, it, I don't know about you, but it can feel like I, I'm also trying to learn to draw. 
and do sort of perspective drawing and like learn to to do that. And it, on one hand, it feels kind of pointless because you see what AI can do and you're like, well, shit, I'm not going to be like, <laughs> things already better than I'll ever be. But I, I don't know, it reminds me of that quote and, and you'll probably know this one better than me, but I'm curious if this resonates with you. That idea that like the job of the artist isn't to paint, it isn't to draw, it isn't to, you know, whatever, but that the job of the artist really is to see. Yeah, 100%. I really, I, I really do believe that. I think when I first started learning how to paint and doing plein air paintings and even figure drawing and, and stuff like that, the core skill, because when you look at someone painting, you're, you're focused on the paintbrush, right? You're focused on their hand movement, the muscle memory, mm-hmm. and I'm, those things are important. But really what sets someone apart, like what makes a master painter is someone who can see things that no one else can see. And specifically, I think see patterns might be the relationship with AI is see patterns and break them, right? Know when to break them. And yeah, I really believe that I I can just see things that I wouldn't have been able to see before in terms of temperature changes in the clouds that it's sort of like learning, you know, like I'm terrible at music and, and sort of tune and you know, but there are certain people who are really good and they're sort of pitch perfect. And the way you do that is you just listen to a lot of music and you can like, you know, just like you have 30 beers and you'll start to get a sense of like the nuances <laughs> beers. Right. But it takes that effort. Yep. I think it's, it's interesting because I do think I have a similar feeling to you of like, why am I doing this? Almost like a form of existential dread. Like, what's the point? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But to be mm-hmm. honest, I feel like that's that's not a bad thing. I think. It's, it's healthy, I think, to think like, why am I doing this? You know, like what is driving really you are, right? Like you are learning to draw, you are learning to paint, you might be doing other things. And like, what motivates that? And I, I spent a lot of my time kind of thinking about that. And I especially, and I've, I've had some tweets along these lines, but I think AI will, will make us question these sorts of things because I think there are things that we, because we were the only people who could do certain things you kind of make an assumption that you should be doing those things or that doing those things is the thing that gives you meaning, right? I felt like this when I raised money for mm-hmm. Gumroad. I was like, oh, one of the few people who can do this, so I must do this. And mm-hmm. it's like, why? You know, what What? What are your goals? What are you trying to do? Are you doing it for social validation? Are you doing it because you're scared? You can't code well enough and you need to hire some engineers. So I, I think it's healthy to kind of go through that. But to be honest, yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know why. Like I learned to paint. I remember not really knowing why, you know, just feeling like I should. And I think that it's always like, you never know, right? Sometimes I I like to think that like my body is smarter than my brain. And there's a reason for Mm -hmm. these things that not yet conscious of, but there's like a lot of intelligence in my gut, in my feet, in my muscle memory. And, you know, those, 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 that sort of intelligence is acting just like, you know, the more conscious part of my brain is acting and perhaps much more. That starts to open up the idea or, or the the whole topic really of intuition, right? Which I think if you're doing anything creative, whether that's painting or drawing or, or building something with technology, like there is that idea of intuition and that it, it you know, our subconscious minds are, are synthesizing so much more data than our conscious mind possibly can. I remember I was, I wrote a, I'm doing, last year I spent a lot of time studying neuroscience and I wrote a whole paper on this where I remember trying to find the exact data, but it was something like the conscious mind and different, you know, studies disagree about the numbers, but the point, the larger point is the same is like the unconscious mind, the whole nervous system is taking in something like 11 megabytes of data a second. And the conscious mind is processing something like 64 bytes. And so it's like, 
the whatever the exact number that it's being processed is the the it's like orders and orders of magnitude more and so like there really is something to the intuition when you start to think about it that way of just like the amount of information that's being condensed processed and delivered in the in the form of a gut feeling a hunch an intuition a little spidey sense yeah i mean i think like when you see for example like you know messi play soccer it's it's sort of you can almost say like that sort of you know the, the, the few bites that are happening are kind of like playing FIFA, right? Where you're making these sort of big decisions, right? In terms of where you are generally moving yep. or where you're going forward or back. But the vast majority of the decisions Lionel Messi is making is in his body, right? It's thousands mm-hmm. of sorts of, you know, the, the megabytes of, of input and output and just, you know, all of that stuff is happening. And what that allows him to do is like, I need to score a goal. <laughs> you know, how do I get this ball around? <laughs> and if you think about it, what, what I think is fascinating is that you can basically take all of that conscious activity and turn it into words because it is so low fidelity, right? It's only, it's like you can write a string of words that takes up that much space. You can funnel it through. And like, that's all the, hu- like, that's what humans do that makes us so different from everybody else. But actually it's a very thin layer of, what I like to consider is of as reasoning, which is basically you could turn off my reasoning and I could roughly function in the world for the rest of my life. I can just go about it mm-hmm. almost subconscious. And I do often. I totally tune out. I do something else. And then I do four hours of work on Gumroad. Like I just don't even remember doing it, to be honest. I just zone out because I'm doing something else. And that's what happens when your, your muscle memory is so kind of so developed and you have so much context, you can kind of do that. And then you can tell a story in your head about something else and figure out some other problem, right? But that, I don't know. It's, it's honest, honestly humbling, I think, like how, how maybe little, you know, intelligence really is, you know, responsible for in, in the way that we consider it. Intuition, right? I mean, I, I think it is important to think about what are you more intuitive about? And there are certain things that I'm just not that intuitive about, right? And there are other things that I, for whatever reason, maybe it's like early childhood memories or, who knows? There are certain things that I tend to be better. And for me, for example, like mm-hmm. this logic, I've always been like pretty good at someone can say, Hey, why does like a cereal box, why is a cereal box not in a perfect cube? It would be much more efficient. And someone who's like really proficient in math might be like, yeah, of course, like they should be boxes because that would be like the most efficient, you know, sort of, you know, volume to, to surface area ratio. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, you want to make it look like there's more cereal in the box. So you'd obviously make it flat. And it, <laughs> this con- like this moment like came in a in a in a class in high school, and it, I just knew the answer like immediately. I didn't think about, mm. it, or at least I didn't think that I would. I didn't do any path to that answer. I just said, hmm. "Obviously, going to want to sell more." You know, so like obviously you would kind of make it look like they have more, even though they may not. And so you have these flat cereal boxes. Maybe there's some packaging or something element too. But and and. You know, the, the teacher was like, yeah, you're probably going to start a company someday. Like there's something about your answer, <laughs> the way you came to. And like, I don't know. I still don't know. But I just, I, I now looking back, like clearly have a knack for like being able to sort of see that in things. And I think it's super key. It's super key to double down on, on the stuff that you're, the things that you're kind of more innately good at. I also think when you're innately good at stuff, you tend to want to do it more anyway. And so that makes you even mm-hmm. better. Right. And I, and I don't know if it's cause, you know, like, chicken or the egg, right? Are you good because you did a lot, it a lot or did you do it a lot because you're good? Who knows, right? But I think they're probably both related. Right, right. 
So totally. How did you, where did that come from for you? Like, how did you start to figure out what you were really good at? And, and I guess maybe building on that, what do you see as your superpowers? Cause you've done a lot of different things, right? You have a lot of different skills, but like, what do you lean on as your, like, what's your superpower in your mind? Yeah. I mean, I think my superpower is that I don't believe that I cannot do anything. Like, I believe I have the capacity to basically figure anything out. And the reason I believe that is because I believe basically every sort of language or mathematical operation effectively breaks down into linear algebra, right? So basically multiplication and addition. And at the end of the day, what that means is you can look at something as complicated as GPT-3 and say, I could build this myself. Hmm. And I, I just believe that. And, and the answer is, I can. Like, I can 100% build GPT-3 myself. Could I do it quickly? No. But I, I believe that <laughs> all of the pieces that I need to, you know, I, that 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 exist, I, I can understand those pieces, right? And I've proven, you know, I have a sort of a, a, a track record of being able to replicate these sorts of things on my own. And so I, I sort of have a, a, a high degree of confidence. I'm like, oh, if I see a painting, I could paint it. Could I come up with that painting myself? Very different question, right? That requires creativity taste, other things that I may not have, actually. I may not be able to have come up with the end. I almost certainly would not have been able to come up with GPT-3 myself. But once I see it done, can I copy? Yes, I, I can copy mm. well, and I have the capacity to. And I think that's like that's, that's just one superpower I have is that like I, I don't, I'm not that creative, frankly. I'm not a creative person. I actually don't believe that I, I actually have the capacity to be creative. But what that means is I don't try. I just, I try to be super efficient. I try to automate as much as possible. I try to ship super quickly. And I think that just, you know, it means that I, I ship a lot of stuff. It, it tends to be pretty minimal. You know, there's not a lot of crazy design elements, but generally what I ship works, you know, it does the job. Mm -hmm. And I think I just, I'm, I'm good at knowing like what the, what the software needs to do and, and not getting hung up on all the other stuff, right? Like I often will send something to somebody and they're like, oh, it doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. And I'm like, I, no, like, but does it do the thing that I said it would do? You know, that's enough, <laughs> you know, like you don't have to do much more than that. And often when you do all the other things, it doesn't actually matter. Anyway, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of that, that book essentialism, right? It's like really finding that core of like, what is the, what is the little nugget that this thing has to do and do really well? And then there's like everything around that. Exactly. And I think I'm good at others. I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have other sort of like one thing I think I'm decent at is evaluating people. I think I'm pretty good at getting a sense of someone's abilities and desires and mostly actually mm. desires i think are probably more important than their abilities but i think i'm pretty good at meeting a founder and saying okay this person doesn't really want to build a billion dollar company again there's nothing wrong with that right like that's the right answer for almost everybody but at the end of the day like i'm trying to find these kind of weirdos in in different kinds of ways and i i think maybe it's because i'm a weirdo myself or who knows what but i think i i, I or maybe it's just i'm honest with people I, i'm i'm good at being honest with people and 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 you know, being a good investor requires saying no a lot and, and saying no is not easy. And, and also I would say maybe I, I build a world around me that allows me to be good, right? Like I do a lot of my work synchronous via text. Why? It's because I'm, I'm better that way. Right. And so I'm, I'm, I'm better at making decisions when I don't have to talk to people in person. I just, I'm, I'm better, you know, some decisions are hard. And when someone is, looks sad, <laughs> I don't want to, <laughs> do the thing anymore, you know, like letting someone go or whatnot. Right. And so I try to construct an environment, just really doubling down on like, okay, these are the things I'm good at. This also requires admitting that there are other things that I'm not so good at. And I think some people, especially mm -hmm. successful, like they tend to think that like they're good at everything. 
there's sort of just like some super generalizable intelligence and like it gives them mm-hmm. like access to say whatever they want about anything. And I do believe they should be able to do that. But at least for myself, I don't believe that. I think there's so many things that I can point to and be like, I am not good at that. Like I'm very good. Like I, I'm conscientious so I can like get good. But like instinctively, right, right. am I sort of improving at a rate that's any different than like the average person? Probably not. You know, so if we put that together with the thing you said a little bit earlier, when I said, what's your superpower? And you said, well, basically that I can learn anything, right? If I can see something, I can figure out how to do it. So how do you put those two together? If you can learn anything, but you know, you're not good at everything. How do you decide where to invest yourself in terms of your own time, your own energy? Almost is kind of like a paradox, right? Because like, if you can do anything, then how shouldn't you be better at all the things, right? But I think it's about, it's almost like energy efficiency where Yes, I could do that thing, but it's just going to, I'm just going to tire me out, right? It's just going to, it's just mm-hmm. going to cost. Like a really a simple example of this is to, is asking someone to do something like 30 times 45. And when you ask someone to do 30 times 45, many people will literally freeze. And 30 times 45 is very simple. It's 45 times 3 times 10. And then 45 times 3 is 45 plus 45 plus 45, which is 90 plus 45, which is, you know, a hundred and 35, I think, but you yep, know, that's zero. Right. I add a zero at the end and, and you have your answer. But like people really struggle with, with, with that mental math. Some people do. I, and I just don't struggle as much, or at least it feels like I don't. And so I think there's, it's just paying attention to like, it is, there's sort of certain pathways that just feel more difficult. It feels like you're climbing up a hill. Other, it feels like you're rolling down a hill. Right. And it yeah, yeah. could go anywhere. Right. But if you, you know, but certain paths just look more and more attractive to us, to, to different peoples based on our skills and our, in our, in our context. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I think about it is there's certain things where you, you're just, you're just more energy efficient when you do them than somebody else. And it, you know, I think, I think energy is a good way to look at it because, it, you know, you can, you can apply physics and you can see that in real life, right? Like there, certain people will, if you are a certain height, you will be more efficient in terms of how much energy you will consume moving from one place to point, you know, to another place and things like that. And so I just think people, for whatever reason, have like different, different sort of energy efficiencies when they do certain things. And I think those probably go down to like basic things like math, physics. Like, for example, my visual library is terrible. I'm very good at memorizing numbers. Hmm. I can do basically, you know, any amount anyone's invested in Gumroad, I know since 2011, hmm. I can argue like basically any funding round that's happened. I just know all the numbers. I know the incorporation mm-hmm. date for everything, every date that I ship something, every project I've ever, ever worked on. I take everything I know and turn in, turn them into numbers and then store those numbers in my brain. But I just do that for fun. I just do that instinctively. And, and right. then I know painters who can just basically paint on the fly, right? They can just draw out of their brain because they're able to take the things in their past and, and, visualize them, I guess, in their brain and then, and then make them happen in real life. And I just, I'm not good at that. I need reference. You know, if you ask me to draw a dragon, I won't be able to do that. It seems like through your various things, whether that's painting or writing, because I think you write sci-fi as well, like between painting and writing and all the entrepreneurial stuff, like you've really gotten to know yourself as a creative person and where your natural strengths are, how you can leverage them. I was really interested in the point you were making around how you've kind of constructed an environment around yourself to basically set yourself up for success and to leverage those strengths. And I think, you know, I'm pretty sure you've been very public about like the way Gumroad is run as a, you know, fully distributed company, no meetings, no full-time employees. You have a, you know, you've had a few of those essays that have, have 
gone pretty wide, I think. But but talk to me a little bit about that. Like, what is you know, beyond what's just out there in written form? Like, what is it that actually makes something like that work? Because so many teams and and companies are out there trying to figure out this distributed company thing. You know, they're trying to be more asynchronous, but really struggling with it. But it seems like y'all have made it work. So just talk to me a little bit about that. What what actually makes that work for you? Yeah. And I mean, and just to go back a little bit, you know, you mentioned like, how do you figure out what you should be doing? What first, what other people should be doing? And I think, I think that's always like the, the hardest mm-hmm. question because truthfully, like I think mo- the tendency is to just outsource everything eventually, right? Once you have a business and you're profitable, mm-hmm. you just hire everyone and you kind of just don't do any of the work. And I, I find that like maybe just my identity as a creative person, but I think it's important for me to constantly do intro level stuff, right? So right now I'm mm-hmm. like, build- I'm actually building a, a transformer from scratch because I, I just, I want to know how, like, I want to know if I'm good or not at it. Like, how do you know unless you do it? Right. And then ultimately, if you right. hire, I think it helps to have that kind of, that kind of context. But I, I think the way that Gumroad works and, and why it works for us, one, I think it's key that you hire for that kind of s- skill set in terms of their writing ability, in terms of their ability to be autonomous. A lot of people think they can do that and they just can't. Like, they really struggle with not having meetings, for example. Like, you know, it's, it's common people say, oh, I hate meetings, right? But the truth is, like, you would hate not having meetings more. Many people, <laughs> the reason that we have meetings, it's not like, you know, aliens are inflicting meetings on us, right? We choose to do these things because the alternative to some, you know, in somebody's opinion would be worse. And it, at Gumroad, it shows up, right? It's if you're, let's say we're changing our pricing, we're going to do this entirely async. We're not going to have a single meeting about changing our pricing, our business model, like the most fundamental property of Gumroad. And so that requires just like a high level of, you know, writing ability, being able to communicate your ideas effectively, being able to, you know, emotionally take it, right? Because when you get feedback, that's also going to be delivered to you via text in this kind of, you're seeing the feedback. You're also putting yourself out there in a way. When you have a meeting, you can kind of say, hey, there's kind of an idea, you know, whatever, like, here's a bad idea. What do you think? Yeah. And then you sort of, the, take the nice stuff and you kind of present it to the rest of the company in a nice Google Doc or whatnot, right? But in Gumroad, yep, you literally see the sausage get made. Like everything that I do at Gumroad basically is open source. It's in GitHub, it's in Slack. Every time I let somebody go, like there's a paper trail of everything, right? Mm. Awesome because what it means is a new person can join and know, wow, every I know I can kind of read up on all the stuff and know what's going on without having to right. talk to a human being. But on the other hand, you might have someone who joins and says, I don't want, I don't want my rough draft stuff in these channels. Like I want to mm-hmm. have with you so we can come up with this really nice, like designers tell me this. They're like, Hey, you're in my Figma. I see your cursor. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I think like, I don't, I don't think you just like blossom beauty out of nothing, you know? And I think partly maybe that help goes back to, you know, what you're saying about like knowing what you're good, like trying things. And when you identify as a creative person, you build that level of competency you realize like there's no magic in any skill, right? Mm-hmm. It, there's just work. You just figure out the small incremental steps to making the thing, whether it's designing stuff in Figma, writing stuff in Notion, building stuff in, in with code. And when everything is sort of pseudo open source and you can see the sausage get made, you realize like, you realize that. You realize there's nothing there, mm-hmm. right? They're just doing like Facebook is just some lines of code. Just crank it away. Right? GPT yeah. is just math. It's just a very complicated math equation that runs trying to figure out the number that associates with, you know, with the best next word. And then that mm-hmm. you know, associates with a token that might be Gumroad. And, but yeah. it just, yeah, absolutely. Automatic. <laughs> totally. 
So one of the things I'm really curious about is, you know, you've, you've had a very interesting journey of the last, I guess, five, six years now, you know, kind of going back to your, your post around, you know, my failure to, to build a billion dollar company with Gumroad. And you gave a great talk at MicroConf and, and for the listener, we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes. But one of the, you know, I went through that again, just getting ready for this conversation. And I had really appreciated it when I, when I first read those things, right? When that first came out, I loved the transparency, like you were just talking about with the, how transparent the company is, but revisiting it, one of the things that jumped out to me even more on a repeat visit was actually this, what seems like a shift in your sense of identity, right? This, this, this sort of, you, at one point in your microconf talk, you talked about this sort of split between like the public Sahil and then the private Sahil and how there was this sort of schism between the two when you were living in San Francisco and you're like, well, shit, like I'm not doing that thing that I came here for. So like, what am I doing and and who am I now and and so forth. But like, talk to me a little bit about that because that sort of identity issue, I think is really central to this whole game of being a creative person, whether you're a painter, a founder, a product person, a software developer, whatever, but it's not actually talked about a lot. So I'd love, I'd love you to kind of like, if you're open to it, sharing more about how you actually thought through that evolution for yourself. Yeah. I think you know, as we mentioned, or as I mentioned earlier, when you're, when you're given an opportunity that very few people get, you kind of default take it, right? It's like, imagine mm-hmm. you move to Hollywood and then you finally get the role. You kind of just say, yes, you might not actually consider like, is this the right role? Is this the right thing? Is this the right person? You just kind right. of like, if I can, I should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, it's just such a rare opportunity. And so you, you know, you jump on it. And I think I kind of did that with startups where I kind of like, you know, I went to USC, I dropped out after one semester, joined Pinterest as employee number two, left after nine months, started my own company, raised, you know, eight million bucks, like all within two years after graduating high school. <laughs> I, I, I was like, I only have so much time, you know, like, and, and the, the, the stories that I was, you know, comparing, you know, myself to is basically like Mark Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, like these people who Bill Gates, like mm. out of school. And, and I was behind because they went to Harvard and Stanford. I didn't even get into those. Right. So like, I got to play catch up, right? They, they were, they raised money when they were 18, 19. I got to do that. And then, you know, it turns out even if you do get the job, you know, you get the role that very few people get, even the people who do get the role, 99% of them don't become what they thought they would. Right. And so there's just so many layers. Mm-hmm. And I think this is sort of like an infinite, almost fractal of, of if you could always look beyond where you are. Right. But, and then, you know, and, and, and to be honest, like, and I think I say this in the essay at the bottom, I'm like, I didn't even intend for this path. So I'm not even saying that like this path is better, right? Like this, like, oh, what, what, what happened was I was forced to realize I wasn't, it was my own story. It wasn't that story, right? Where I mm. failed in venture funding. It's not like I didn't want to. It's like I wanted to and I failed and I wanted to mm. not fire people and I had to. And like, I just had to do these sorts of things. And that's where like a lot of growth comes from because you look back and you're like, why did I do those things? And mm. For me, it was like, I built this company. I promised everybody, including the investors, including the, the employees that we hired that like creators were first and that government was going to be a creator first company. And what that meant at that point was to, you know, basically say, Hey, investors, I'm going to basically downsize the company. We're not raising any more money. We're going to get profitable so we can at least continue to, you know, fulfill this service to our creators. And then we can figure out what we want to do next. And. The basically Gumroad, it grew, but it just, it, it, it just wasn't growing fast. And what I realized was mm. I was just so hung up on being successful by a certain point, by a certain time. I think often this stems from a fear that you will never be successful. And so you, 
want to prove, you know, you want to prove it sooner rather than later. Right. 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 I I just was forced to basically, I was forced to become patient with myself and realize like, oh, this is going to take time. Like, I, I can still build a company. I can still do all these things. Like I'm, I think a lot of people can, but not within a year, not within two years. It, it, that stuff is mostly out of your control, right? It's mm-hmm. what can I do? I can stay profitable. You know, I can write code. I can design. I can tweet. I can do support tickets. I can do all those sorts of things. And that's sort of a truth, you know, that I believe mm-hmm. in. That meant is that I could basically operate Gumroad lean and mean for a long period of time. But to your point, like I felt like I was still living in the Bay Area. Most of my friends, like, you know, imagine like you talk to a friend and they're like, how's Gumroad going? Like, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. To... There's nobody that works at the company. Anymore. Like, I just do support tickets. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a hard not... thing to say to your buddy. Yeah, it's just not the, yeah, it just, it, it, it just doesn't work. And so I left. I basically bounced. I left San Francisco. And it took that sort of physical distance, I think, to realize, like, really what, what I realized was when you're in San Francisco, everyone, you think everyone cares about these things, and maybe everyone does care about these things. The truth is, I think even in San Francisco, most people don't care about these things. But it's a it's sort of a stage yeah. performance where everyone's like almost acting. Just right. Like, right. But then when you move, you realize like, holy crap, these people are all obsessed about this other thing that I never even thought about for two seconds. And this thing right. that I asked about, they haven't thought about for two seconds. Right. And that's where the, the title actually reflecting on my failure to build a billion dollar company came from, which was like, they just, it was just h- hilarious to people that like, I considered that a failure. And that was like, kind of. <laughs> joke of the blog post in a sense was like poking fun at this idea of of sort of where we were we're sort of so deep in our own you know context that we we can even talk about you know i failed to build a billion dollar company right it would be like oh man i failed to be you know to become a billionaire or i failed to you know star in a movie it's like yeah obviously yeah i mean like what's <laughs> yeah. the moon Some people are like yeah it's ridiculous like what's the what's the problem here it's like, you're, 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 it's like a ridiculous idea why, like, why did you want to do that? It's like, oh, well, you know, I read a blog post about Mark Zuckerberg and Bill Gates, and I thought that I could, you know, I was, I was coding at a young age, so I thought I could do that. And like, well, why? Oh, you know, cause like, and honestly, the answer was like, so I could meet them. Like, so I could have, like, I could have dinner with these people. It was like social validation, you know? To mm-hmm. a, and then the, the ironic thing about that blog post is it gave me what I wanted. Like, I, <laughs> I, I, it took me dealing with and facing and, 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 and publicly saying, these truths and then realizing, oh, that's, that was actually the best way to get it in the first place. Because then all these founders are like, oh, this is amazing. I wish I, you know, I had the similar thoughts and like, we should hang out and grab dinner and blah, blah, blah. You know, people yeah, start yeah. You know, and all these sorts of things. I was like, wait, what? There's other ways. Yeah, it's backwards. I oh, I rock that when I hit publish. You know, I, I really want to hit publish. I was like, this is my goodbye to the startup industry. It's like, hey, here's what I learned. I'm going to go become an oil painter, write some science fiction. And- yeah you know, see you later. And I think I was tweeting like once a, a month about my figure drawing when I look back. And then, yeah, that, wow. kind of, that blog post kind of like reignited. And and to be honest, like looking back, I would say, truthfully, I never left the startup industry, you know? Like I I think I always mm-hmm. want to go back because I love building stuff. I love building software. And I think, you know, I, I think I'll do that for, I love writing. I love, you know, doing all these sorts of things. And you got to do something with your time, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I don't know. It feels like a story that was meant to happen, but obviously always no it's i mean it's a great story but but you know one of the things that i i feel like you were just and this is what you're just alluding to is you really sort of not by choice originally but then very much you leaned into it you really took on the definition of success right like there is this trope this story about you were the poster child in some ways for silicon valley right 
you like in in so yeah. many ways you were like the young star you came from singapore you raised this money like the whole nine yards and then it yeah. goes the way you didn't want it to go and then you had to sort that out so what i'm really curious about is after going through that what is your definition of success now yeah i mean i think honestly the 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 biggest thing is control of my time and my body i think and so mm. being able to spend you know time doing what i want thinking about what i want and being where i want and i think those things are are mm. are really 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 important and it doesn't take a lot to get there but I do think it requires like, you know, you know, making a living, doing something you like doing with people you like doing it with, working on something you like. And the, and frankly, there's like a lot, a lot of, the, there's just not a lot of those opportunities. You kind of have to make your own. And I think I was able to make my own with Gumroad and hopefully provide that to a few dozen other people who get to work on Gumroad with me. And, you know, I want to build more companies so I can create more of these opportunities. But yeah, that's kind of how I, how I kind of think about success is freedom, right? Freedom, freedom from mm. versus freedom to. And then it, you got to decide what you want to spend that freedom on. And that's a whole other kind of question, I think, on its own, maybe even harder to, to, to solve. But yeah, I, I would say the, like looking back, yeah, I was always, and even you can see this when I did the layoffs, right? It was about getting Gummer to a place where I could do what I want on my own time, right? And Gummer was going to mm-hmm. run out of money. Yep. And the way to do what I wanted was to basically get, take the company down to zero, get it to profitable start almost from scratch and say, well, what do I want? <laughs> the only way I'm going to know what I want is to like allow, allow myself the time and space to figure it out. Cause at the time I just wanted to government to not die. And right. now, you know, like, you know, over the last few years, COVID happened and, you know, other, other things have happened. And I was, now I get to decide like, okay, where, what, what do I want? What do I want government to be able to do? And, and, and what changes, you know, should I make in, in order for that to happen? And, but I think it always comes down to like freedom, you know, what, like what's going to, what's going to create the best experience for, for the people who I sort of like created an agreement with that this was the kind of experience that I was going to, you know, empower them to have, whether that be myself, investors, employees, creators. I would say maybe another superpower I have is like, I'm very transparent. I'm very I'm not confident yep. in the sense that like, I'm sure I make mistakes all the time, but I'm, I've, when I make a decision, I'm willing to say, this is the decision I'm making. This is why I'm making this decision. Please let me know if there's data that, you know, would be valuable. And let me know if you have any questions, mm-hmm. you know? And like when, when I left, yeah. let's go. Like I, I've always informed investors. Like I always keep everybody super, super up to date. And that gives me a lot of confidence because when I want, I need to do something that maybe no one's ever done before, or I'm doing something weird or different. Or, I've given people the opportunity to give me feedback, you know? And it allows yeah, yeah. to say things or, or whatnot. I would say in the other skill about being able to know that I can do all of this stuff myself, if need be, it gives me the confidence that like, even if I hit publish on this thing and I get completely canceled, I will still mm-hmm. be able to run Gumroad myself. I will still be able to do the things that I want to be able to do, right? If every single person on Twitter hates me, I could delete my Twitter account. I think I would, nothing would change. I could really see the through line of freedom there. And I mean, it it does, I think it's really a nice example where you've gotten really clear on like basically the activities you want to spend, like spend your time doing, right? You want to spend it writing, you want to spend it designing, painting, creating things for people, getting to know what those people need and then building it. And yeah, nobody can take that away from you, which is, I I feel like that's got to give you a lot of confidence. I talk to a lot of people who spent like they spend eight hours a day talking to people they don't really want to talk to. 
And I'm like, that's not fun. <laughs> like, what? But that's about <laughs> You know, that might be a very common experience for people, right? And so, yeah, very key for me to not be in that position. And luckily, I've only held a real job for nine months. I'm clearly not cut out for that. Totally. So let me ask you, you know, what would you do? Let's say something happened tomorrow and everything was reset to zero, right? Gumroad somehow just was done, which would be very sad. But let's say you were just like, okay, great. I have to, I can't do any of the things that I'm doing today. What would you get up and do tomorrow? I would probably move somewhere cheaper, <laughs> warmer, right. you know, yeah. but yeah, I think I would, I would, I would just, I would say, awesome. I can, I can build stuff again and I can just do it without any, like at some point, yes, I need to figure out how to make a living. But the, you know, the good news is, you know, if you're, if you can design, you can write, you can code, like there's some, somebody will pay me a hundred bucks an hour to do that. And that'll, that'll pay the bills. But I think my focus would be on building a bunch of prototypes, maybe writing some essays that have been, you know, it, you know, there've been punchlines in my head or tweets that I've wanted to expand and just to kind of expand the surface area of what I'm looking at, you know? And I think, like I, I mentioned, I don't, I don't think creativity exists. I really like don't buy it. And what I, but what I do think exists is multiplication. And so you can come up with like a new number, like which someone may look at and be like, oh, that's new. I've never seen that before. But all you're doing is taking two numbers that they may have seen, you know, to create that new number, right? Is that a creative right, act? Right. No. And so what I think I can do is I can just look at, I can, you know, obviously I'm one of those numbers, all the, all of my past experience. And then I can, I can like multiply it with things, you know? So I can like go read this paper yeah. and multiply it with myself and say, Oh, can I do something here? Can I do something here? Can I do something here? Can I do, can I, can I play with that? Can I use this tool? And I'm constantly doing this, right? I, I do this even, you know, with Gumroad, right? Where I'm like just constantly trying to figure out like what, like you don't know what you don't know. And I think this is kind of like, this is why I think creativity doesn't exist. It's because you don't know how to be creative because you don't know the thing that make, makes you look creative in hindsight, right? You're just problem solving, sure. solving the problem in front of you. And so I, I think I would just do that. I would just be super prolific. I would just start tweeting all the time again and be like, I'm building this, I'm building this, I'm building this, here's this, here's this. And I would just let the market tell me what's most compelling to them. And what I've learned about myself too, through this process is like, Gumroad's awesome, but the truth is it's kind of random that I worked on Gumroad, you know, like it's cool. Mm, I think I have yeah. some, you know, like certain things that help with running a marketplace and kind of a mini economy, for example. And, I, and there's certain, like, I can definitely like the marketplace. I'm sure I would sort of probably end up working on something similar, but it could be for like carpenters or, you know, nurses or, or other, other, other people. So I think it would be about figuring out like what intrinsically do I, what, what things am I attracted to, for example, I like working on consumer applications versus business mm -hmm. enterprise stuff, right? And then just building a bunch of stuff and feel it and and then seeing what resonates, seeing like, oh, do I want to work on this more? Is there more here? I often think about Gumroad like a painting. It's just a painting that you mm. can make infinitely better. It's a painting that just, mm -hmm. you can always improve it. You can always, it's like drawing a perfect circle, right? Like you, you know where you need to go, but you know you'll never get there in a sense. Like there's no... Right. Out there. It's that horizon that keeps receding at the farther you get towards that, it. Exactly. And so I think I would be more humble about that and say, look, it doesn't frankly matter, <laughs> but I do like exactly what I end up working on or who, but like it has to meet certain characteristics. Like I need to be able to do a remote. I need to be able to work with people I really like working on, working with, you know, it probably has some sort of viral growth component to it. You know, all the things I kind of mentioned in the book, but at the end of the day, I won't be that specific about the solution. 
you know, a lot of technology with it, right? I'd be like, oh, what's all the new technology that's come out in the last five to 10 years that I haven't been able to mess around with? And can any of these, you know, can I riff any of these with all the other problems that I've been been thinking about as well? Just a second ago, you were talking about like one of your strengths is really transparency, right? And being really open with your thinking. We were talking about some of the tensions that happen with the evolving identity that you have as a creator, as an entrepreneur, as a, as a person doing this kind of work. I'm, I'm really curious, like, how does that all inform the recent pricing change at Gumroad? Because I know that was, you know, that kind of, that made some waves. And I, I imagine you've heard like a whole bunch of different responses. So talk to me about that a little bit, if you would, like, how did you think through it? Where, you know, ha- has it gone the way you thought it would? I'm, I'm really curious to hear your perspective on it all. Yeah, and we'll see how it goes. It officially goes live in two weeks. So we announced it, I think, hmm. four, six days or something before to give people at least some heads up. And it's honestly gone way better than I expected. I thought it was going to be way worse because it's an aggressive change. We're going from charging between three and six percent or so to charging 10 to 12 percent. You know, it's a big jump, obviously, inclusive of Stripe and stuff. And I looked at basically what does Gummer deserve? What does like as a product, as a marketplace, as you know, for the functional functionality that we offer our creators, like what does Gumra deserve? If someone makes a thousand bucks on the platform or 10,000 or a hundred thousand, like what is Gumroad entitled to for all of the functionality that we have provided? The UX, the network effects, the brand, the design, whatever it may be. And I felt 10% was like just a really easy, simple number to wrap your head around. 10% feels like a minority, you know, still pretty small. <laughs> Certainly it's, it's, you know, two, two X more than it used to be. But I just felt like that was a, a business model where I would feel proud of. I would feel like, yes, we are delivering that value. It's still, in my view, affordable and it gives us the budget to do even more and hopefully make it so that Gumroad continues to be worth, you know, paying for in term. And, and specifically for us, that means a lot of focus on discovery recommendation. I think that's, you know, distribution for our creators. I think that's where a lot of the value is going to come from, from, from Gumroad in 2023. I think luckily a lot of this AI stuff and deep neural nets and stuff like perfect collision course with a lot of what I think Gumroad should be doing. And then I looked at like companies that I wish I ran. You know, I looked at companies like Patreon or Bandcamp or Substack, you know, world-class kind of creator economy companies. And they all charge roughly 10% plus credit card processing fees. And so I felt like, is this fair? If, if I were starting Gumroad from scratch today, what is the pricing that I would choose? And I would choose this. I would choose 10% plus Stripe fees. And I knew that people were going to be upset. Obviously, why wouldn't you be upset? Sure. But we're increasing yeah. prices, right? And so I just said, like, instead of, instead of saying, oh, we're only going to do one to 2% and deal with all this, you know, flack, let's just do the hardest thing possible and pick the right business model as if we were starting from scratch. And that's going to hurt. Mm. It's a huge difference from what it used to be yesterday. But yesterday is completely irrelevant. Yesterday doesn't even exist. All that matters is the present and the future. And 10% plus credit card processing fees is what I felt was the right thing. And I purposefully like didn't explain it. I, I mean, I did explain mm-hmm. it in the board meeting. If people watch the YouTube, there's an hour of me talking about stuff like related to it. But <laughs> In the email that I sent out to people, which was one reason that it kind of blew up on Twitter, I just said, we're increasing our pricing by this amount. Hopefully you think it's a good deal. And it goes into Mm. Jan 31. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, that's not, you should have explained it or whatever. 
But the truth is, like, I didn't want to. I, I wanted, I wanted the flack. Like, I des- like just like Gummer deserves ten percent. I deserve the flack. You know, I hmm. again, like, I am good at explaining why I do something, and I am confident that I, I, with the information I had, this was the right decision. And the, you know, the numbers will eventually speak for themselves, right? Like February will happen, and March will happen, and the churn is what matters at the end of the day, right? Like, how many people? are no longer selling stuff on Gumroad because of the price change. Today, yeah. I mean, looking at the numbers, there's no churn. Zero, basically. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. No so churn. sort of much to do about nothing. So far. But, I mean, yeah. honestly, I'm shocked. I budgeted for double-digit churn, and I still expected yeah. you know, the only the paranoid survive. I, I expected up to half the volume leaving. And truthfully, hmm. if that doesn't happen, I mean... The proof is in the pudding. We probably should have tra- changed our pricing much earlier. Yeah. No. So, I, I first of all, I really appreciate you being so open about it and, and talking about that. But I think what's especially interesting for for the listener, right? Everybody who's listening to this is going to have to make hard calls, right? Calls they know some people are not going to be fans of. And so, I'd love to just go back to that really quick. You know, the like as you said, the proof is it will be in the pudding. We'll see what happens and the numbers will speak for themselves in due time. But I think what's much more interesting and actionable for folks is taking back to your mindset when you were making that decision, because you knew you were going to get flack. You wanted the flack. So talking about how did you develop your conviction to the point where you said like, yep, there's going to be flack and it's still the right thing to do. Ignore the sunk costs. Let's take the hit and we're going to do this. Yeah. I mean, I, I basically tried to ping as many people as possible and say, why shouldn't I do this? And I pinged some creators. Hmm. I, my, I told my wife, my mom, friend, other, you know, as many, uh, lots of, lots of anyone I was talking to, I was like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? You know, and to destroy it, like just mm-hmm. rip it apart. Tell me why I shouldn't be doing this. And, you know, and by the way, this continued to happen after we announced it, of course. Right. Many, many people wrote sure. why we shouldn't be doing this. I got DMS from like people saying, Oh, I run this pricing startup. Like, let me help you with your pricing. Like, all this kind of stuff. And I said, no, we're changing it to, I'd like, I don't need help with, I, from a pricing expert. It's 10%. Well, <laughs> one reason to change it is because the, the old stuff was just way too complicated. It, it was way too much. It was like tears and all this. Mm. No, it was like too, like how much money will Gummer make if you make a hundred grand? I don't know. 9% up till this. And then it's like just crazy math that you had to do. And the truth is like not a single person has actually given me a good explanation yet for why I should mm. not have done yeah, and literally nobody. And you know how many people like I wa- like wanted me to make this decision? Nobody. But could anyone actually explain why I shouldn't? Nobody. And the answer is, you know, you can basically you just say, "Why shouldn't I do this? Give me a good explanation for why I shouldn't do this." And then you just read the explanation, right? And you say, "Is this a good reason?" And you have to factor out their bias, or you don't, you don't even have to factor out their biases. But what you realize is basically everybody is talking their own book. So every single person who mm. wants road to get cheaper benefits from Gumroad getting cheaper. So of course, they're not going to advocate for Gumroad being more expensive, right? And so, yeah, basically what I learned was anyone who wasn't being impacted by the pricing changes completely agreed with it. No one would look at Gumroad from the outside and say, yeah, Gumroad should not be 10% plus 30 if Patreon and Substack and Bandcamp are. So, okay. Hmm. You know, there's no... There you go. (laughs) Like, like... Hard to argue with that. Yeah, like, why would I leave... For my investors, for for everybody, like why would I leave for Gumroad, like you know, millions of dollars on the table every year, if you, if I can't come up with a good explanation for that? Gumroad is not a charity. 
you know, I think Daniel Vasallo said like, he think he made like almost a million dollars on Gumroad and I think Gumroad made like 15 grand in profit or something off it, right? Like just the math is just great. And the cool thing with running Gumroad transparently is that literally everybody knows the numbers that led to this decision. And so, you know, there's no, there's really nothing, no secrets, right? I came to a different decision mm-hmm. than somebody else based on the exact same information that everybody else has because my incentives are different. Everyone else's incentives is mm-hmm. for Gumroad to basically make no money at all to just burn venture capital and crowdfunding money to provide an insanely cheap service. And I decided that yeah, we're no longer in that economy. That's just, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. yeah. Like if I were able to raise like Do you think- a bunch more money, like maybe I would have d- not done this. You know, I, I, by the way, I have yeah. the competitors like sold a bunch of secondary. So like they, they made millions of dollars hmm. and did not. So they don't have to make this change. I mean, Nathan Berry tweeted that, you know, ConvertKit commerce is unprofitable for them. But my, you know, Cool. You know, by the way, yeah. if anyone wants to use a cheaper version of Gumroad that's not as good, go use that. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Like, do you, do you think that that in some ways is like a hangover from having started Gumroad as a VC-backed thing where people, did people like position it in that bucket of like, oh, of course it should be super cheap, borderline free, like so many other VC effectively subsidized services out there. But you're like, well, that's not what this company is anymore. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think I just, I was scared. I was scared that people would leave. And so I was scared to change everything, even though I knew for years that it was too low. And luckily, Gumroad was growing fast. People loved it. There was COVID, creator economy, venture capital, crowdfunding. There are all these reasons where I could just not have to think about it. And so why would I? But then the minute interest go up to 5%, and I'm like, okay, cool. Now Gumroad has to be a real business. I can just change four lines of code, you know, to, to, to make this change. And it's now time. I mean, it's just like Netflix increases their prices. And, you know, it's like, it, yeah, it's inflation, right? <laughs> like people yeah. are like, why, why would you <laughs> prices during inflation? I'm like, because of, you're literally answering your own question. Like because of inflation? <laughs> yeah. Because at some Gumroad needs to be a profitable business and a sustainable business. And sustainable means that we make money. We use that money to you know, issue dividends to our investors and then we can continue to provide the service that we provide for 90%. You know, you make, you still make 90. I mean, that's the other way of looking at it, right? Is I, I said, okay, creators are going from making 95% to making 90%. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty good. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Especially, I mean, especially if Gumroad is doing like everything for you effectively. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah that's a lot. That's a lot of software. I talking to my mom and I was like, okay, let's say Gumroad helps you sell a book and you make a hundred grand. But Gumroad does literally everything for you. You obviously have to write the book. You can do that within Gumroad. But, you know, in terms of payments and sales and refunds and fraud and emails and all that kind of stuff, you don't have to be technical at all. And like, is that worth 10%? And she's like, yeah, of course. I mean, like if I make a new sale, how much work does it take me? I'm like, zero. It's completely automated. And she's like, so yeah, 10%. Yeah. And by the way, I think people pay 30%. Am I going to make pricing 30%? No, because I don't think it's fair. But I do. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot more flexibility in these things. And Paul Graham is famous for the the line, you know, the right price is when people complain, but still pay. Right. And at the end, yep. what matters is, uh, yeah, are people still paying? Are people choosing to use Gumroad? And I'm not like, oh, yeah, look at all the money I'm making now or whatever. No, it's, it's like, no, I, I feel proud that I built a product and service. It took me 12 years and a team, a lots of people. But we are now building a service that's worth paying 10% for. How do I know that? Because people are. <laughs> Today, I don't know. That. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. 
new creators are. We haven't seen a drop off in conversion or signups at all. Actually, January would probably be our best month ever in terms of new creators. Yeah, it just it just turns out that pricing wasn't really impacting the business. We were basically just subsidizing, you know, creators to the tune of millions and millions and millions of dollars, and we're no longer doing that. Yeah, well, fair enough. The truth hurts. Fair enough. <laughs> Sometimes, but it will set you free. I, mean, hey, I, I am I am me and I will make decisions that I believe are consistent with what I think is right and I will do them transparently. But you know, I've always said I want Gummer to be a sustainable business and to serve creators, and I think this is the best way to to do that. Absolutely. So I want to go ahead and start to close out here. You know, we've covered a, a ton of territory in a pretty short period of time. I'm curious where this comes from for you, but you seem to have an ability to sort of think independently more than most people I meet, right? Even many founders who pride themselves on being sort of independent thinkers and going against the grain and so on and so forth. You know, a lot of times we're doing things because we want the social validation or we want to say we did it or whatever. Where does that come from for you when you're informally or privately advising people? Like, how do you help people to do that more and not be swept up in maybe what other people would like them to do? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's an advantage to being a CEO of a company that has 30,000 customers because it means that even if half the volume did leave Gumroad tomorrow, I could still be CEO of Gumroad. I could still get paid. You know, I, I'm not going out of business. Mm. And so that helps because at the end of the day, when someone can fire you, you're not going to be as honest to that person, right? It's just like the nature of, of practicality. Mm. And, you know, we want to survive. I think that's really important. And I acknowledge, I tell the team that, like, look, I can fire you. You can't fire me, which means... There's always going to be some level of, you know, you may not want to tell me things. That's always going to be the case. And that's fine. Just acknowledging that's part of the relationship is is totally fine. But guess what? They wouldn't work for government if I didn't pay them. <laughs> you know, like, that, <laughs> it's also fine to acknowledge that, I think, personally. In terms of, actually, of oh man, it's tough, honestly, because I, 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 I don't, I don't know if I can even recommend doing it because I do think there are real costs to doing it. Like, there are people who tell mm. like, they hate my tweets and stuff like that, you know, which is not fun to hear, but or yeah, eat meat because they thought that I am my tweets or whatnot. Right. But I think it, w- it was it's just always been super important to me to be to feel like a level of self-esteem. And I think part of that is being honest to myself. And and I just don't know if I would be able to do that if I were having to censor myself or or one. Right. And I. I don't know if it, it's honestly like something that I, yeah, people can, in, can get closer to if they don't already have it. And it's funny because I even will hang out with a bunch of people who you would consider, you know, independent thinkers. And I'm like, you guys are all saying the same crap, you know? Hmm. And I think part of it is you're in a room with a bunch of other people. Guess what? I'm not, right? I'm not in a room with a bunch of other people. I choose to work remote. I don't live in California or New York. That helps. It helps a lot thinking independently. Mm-hmm. It, you know, you, you do kind of, I think, inherit the, the sort of opinion of the people around you, the books you read. And I think you just have to be okay with, with, with that kind of like, frankly, like being a lot less social because inherently being social will make you conform to the standards. I noticed this with sports. Hmm. Like, I think sports are completely insane. Like, it's completely ridiculous that we <laughs> watch like a bunch of like sweaty dudes run around and like kick a ball. It's complete. And the, the reason that sports exist is not the reason that people watch sports today, right? The reason that sports exist is effectively was a way to like wage war without killing lots of people. That's how soccer started. And guess what? It's still used as a way to resolve tension and, and you know, mostly in men so that they don't shoot each other, right? And, and right, right. 
But imagine, you know, showing up at a at a soccer meetup and saying, hey, by the way, this this it's insane that you like this team just because you were born in this geographic area. I say stuff like that. <laughs> I say stuff like that. I tell founders all the time, like, if you like sports, I'm not going to invest in your company because I've never met founders who are obsessed with sports who, who build great companies. But guess what? That alienates lots of people. That means people don't like me as much. And that's the truth. The truth is that you have to be okay with that if you want to be an independent thinker. Because the truth is, something that people don't like. There are lots of truths that are not fun. For example, climate change is mostly bogus. That's a truth that I believe that lots of people would would be like, what the hell? That's a crazy opinion. I also have lots of information and context that I can, but I don't look, I feel completely comfortable saying that without explaining myself, knowing that someone listening is like, what the hell did he just say? Right. Right. Or just not comfortable with people even thinking that of themselves, of other, you know, oh, someone might be thinking that of me. No, I know that there's literally thousands of people out there who hate my gut. I saw that when I changed the government price. That's another thing is like when people <laughs> like have a business sort of logic problem and then it turns into an ad hominem attack, I'm like, oh, I guess you didn't really have a good point. How do you actually deal with that though? What, what do you do to stay true to yourself and not let that take you out? Honestly, I just don't hang out with human beings, right? I just hang out with my wife and people that I consider family people that I trust and actually appreciate their opinions and like would take, like if my mom said, Hey, 10% is insane. I I wouldn't have done it. <laughs> you know, my mom's <laughs> right, right. more than anybody's opinion on Twitter. And it's good. And so, yeah, I think, I think it's just making sure you surround yourself with people. If I, if I like, you know, like there's, there's a reason that a lot of like these sort of disagreeable independent thinkers don't live near their, where they're born. Right. Like, does Elon live mm. where he was born? Does Bill Gates live where he's, I mean, Bill Gates kind of does. He's also not very disagreeable. Mm. Right. Why? Because when you live near people, you know, you will be less disagreeable. You will, you cannot help but conform. Like when I go back to Singapore, I start caring about sports again. I start hanging out with my husband mm. and drunk on Friday. Like it's inevitable. And so if I truly want to be an independent thinker, I just have to value that so much. I value being an independent thinker more than having friends. And most people don't, mm. don't choose that. I can see how that really like frees you up to do a lot of things because you don't have that social friction. Yeah, I mean, like, guess what? In your, literally, friends, literally in your mind. You know how little TV shows you watch when you don't have friends, or how few sports you watch. Like I have twenty hours a week on people because I just don't consume any content. The only content I consume is books and scientific papers, mostly in research and ML. I don't watch TV. I don't really watch movies. I don't consume TikTok or Netflix, or Breaking Bad, or Mad Men, or... Or whatever. Or whatever. Like, literally, I just don't. I have zero interest in it, because who would I talk to about it? Friends. Yeah, I can see how that helps. I talk to people about machine learning, and AI, and physics, and math, and consciousness, and intelligence, and all these other things. Unfortunately, there's no density of these people, so I have to do it online. There's, like, one of these people per city, you know? But it's, yeah, I I just happen to value being an independent thinker more than you know, the, the other things. And I think that's another thing is people who don't should also be okay with, that. you know, most people don't value the truth. The truth is like mm. incredibly, I mean, the truth is that we're like monkeys. I mean, clearly look outside. <laughs> we don't act, we pretend that we're more than monkeys. It's a, it's a joke, but guess what? It would be a lot more chaotic of a world if we didn't, if we stopped pretending. So I'll let, I'm happy everyone else is pretending, but I'm not going to pretend, you know? Yeah. I'm just a monkey. We are indeed fancy monkeys. When you think about all the things you could work on, like, do you, you know, some people have very strong 
I don't know, let's call them passions, biases, whatever, where they're like, oh, I only will work on this, like the creator economy or artificial intelligence or whatever. It doesn't seem like you approach things that way. How do you think about what to work on other than lifestyle constraints and working condition constraints? Do you have topical constraints for yourself? I would say topically, I think working in software is really important. I think that does enable some of the lifestyle stuff. So maybe it's just purely because of that. I haven't unpacked that exactly. Mm. But I do think software just seems to be this like critical innovation that has only happened with writing. And, you know, like it's just such a rare innovation and breaking smart, Mm -hmm. great blog posts people can check out that I didn't write about that. Why software is just so, so interesting and, and new and different money and writing are the two other forms of sort of like software that we've invented in the past beyond computer code. And, and then honestly, the, my framing is, can I save people time? Can I save people money? Can I make people money? Gumroad sort of fits pretty cleanly into, into a couple of those buckets. I, and so I have a bias towards helping people make money because I believe money is like, it's a universal thing. You know, it's, it's a place you can basically go mm-hmm. anywhere and so, and it, it will improve your life. It will give you safety. It will give you shelter. It will give you food. And so if I can help people make money, that's a really easy way to make money myself. I just charge now 10%, you know? And so <laughs> I have bias towards, I think that I have a bias towards things that have network effects because I think that allows me to like focus on R and D instead of growing the, the, you know, sales and growing the platform itself. But to be honest, I think beyond that, I, it really doesn't matter. Like if I was born a hundred years from hmm. or born a hundred years in the past, I think I would have probably found some way to save people time or money in my local context, you know, or in the future, like maybe it's building a video game or maybe it's, you know, what, what, you know, helping people like, you know, make automate housing construction or, or something like that. I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of automation out of using software to Mm. effectively replace what a human was previously doing manually and sort of the efficiency gains and the error correction gains and the quality gains that all come from that. And so, but yeah, beyond that, I think it's like, if I see a PDF that doesn't need to get sent, I'll build a business. It doesn't (laughs) matter. I think that that part of it. Yeah. Right on. I remember a call we were on like a year ago and, and I think you said something to the effect of like, Every time somebody signs a PDF, that's like a, there's, there's a business right there. And uh, you know, like there's, always, there's always a 10% million dollar industry, right? Like PDFs run <laughs> and clearly PDFs. If you ever, ever look, by the way, at the format of, you know, I think it was invented by Adobe of what a PDF yep. format, like what that is. And it's just, it's, it's just like, it's like COBOL, you know, it's just like very old school. We probably really shouldn't be using PDFs for, for anything that doesn't actually require pages, right? And guess what? <laughs> the internet doesn't really have the concept of a, you know, of a letter, of a page in that. Well, I know you've got to jump off here in just a minute, but first off, super fun. And next time you're through LA, let's grab a coffee. I would love to nerd out about consciousness because I don't have enough people to talk about that with either. So let's do yeah. it. And just just in closing out, Zahil, what, what would you like to leave the listener with? Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, a, a theme for me has just been trying to analyze why I want to do certain things. Do I really want to do them? Is it because society is telling me that I should be doing those sorts of things? And I just find that, like, when I when I get to the, the bottom of, like, oh, that's why I started Gumroad because I needed social validation from a peer group of mm. who build stuff. It just gives me a lot of peace, a lot of clarity. And when I want to build something new, I kind of I know I can maybe say, oh, that's why. Like, oh, I don't actually need to do that. It's just that I see all these things on the internet and they make me think that I want that. But I don't actually want that, you know? And so just, you know, a lot of this just goes back to the kind of neuroscience and largely why I read books and papers is so I can understand myself more deeply. And it turns out that the more I understand myself, like the less I want to interact with society and the more, the more of me I become. 
All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and leave it there. But Sahil, thanks so much for hanging out today. It's been awesome to be with you. And good luck with everything going into effect next month. And I'm rooting for you as always. Thank you. I'm excited to, uh, yeah, show, show, not tell how awesome government is going to get over the next few years. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, I'd be so grateful if you could do me a favor and take about 25 seconds to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. That helps me reach way more listeners, and it also helps me bring you more great guests. As always, please feel free to reach out to me anytime at connect at makethingsthatmatter.com. And until next time, my friends, leave them better than you found them. See you out there.